You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But who practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Cool. Thanks, Jenny. Evening, church. Look at this. Have you, like, looked around? Because I know it's seven. Not everyone's here yet. But, like, have a little look because it's full now. I'm loving that. Um, if I haven't met you already, my name's Louise and I'm the student worker here. So hopefully I know most students. That's, like, kind of my job. Um, if I don't, I'll meet you later. Can't wait. That will be great. Um, Shall we pray before I begin? Lord, thank you that you are here tonight. I pray that we would encounter you. Yeah, God, help me to communicate this message well of your light and of your love and help us to leave here changed because of the ways that you have spoken to us. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yeah, if it's your very first time here tonight, a warm, warm, warm welcome to you. And if it's your, like, millionth time, you are so welcome as well. Uh, We hope you feel at home with us here. To give you a bit of context as to where we are, we've just started our new series, which gives us an opportunity to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. So we want to see life through the eyes of Jesus and be challenged by the way that seeing life through his eyes will mean that our lives are impacted. We want to see how his point of view impacts our tomorrows. We want to see the world and therefore live in the world like Jesus did, bringing love and peace and hope, standing against injustice and sitting with the forgotten, living this radically sacrificial life that ultimately points people to the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. So as I chat and, you know, bring this message to you tonight, I'd love you to just keep this question in your mind. If I saw the world as Jesus did, what would my tomorrow look like? If I saw life through his eyes, what would tomorrow look like when I wake up? Last week, Simon helped us to understand that Jesus sees us as salt of the earth. That was included in our reading tonight as well. We are the salt of the earth, that we are placed by God to be distinctive, that as followers of Jesus, there's a call on our lives to enter places of despair and places of decay. 
And our job is to bring the presence of Jesus into those broken places, being the salt of the earth. And tonight we're moving on to that second part where we're looking at light, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And if you're sat here tonight as someone who knows Jesus and follows him, he's speaking to you as well. He's looking you in the eyes and he's saying, you are the light of the world. And perhaps the world looks quite different than it did 2,000 years ago when Jesus said that. But actually the message is the same. He's saying you are the light of the world. Now Jesus here, he recognizes the darkness of the world else he wouldn't have talked about light. He knows that there's darkness, but he gives us that title, that title of light amongst a dark world. Now what's interesting is that Jesus has used these words elsewhere, and if you've been at church a while, um, you probably will know, but this image about being the light of the world, he's used it already, and that's where I want to start, where he's used these words about himself, where he said, I am the light of the world. In John 8 verse 12, he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. Jesus is the one who is entering dark places and transforming them. He says that he is the light of the world. And those words that he says that he's the light, they're powerful because they're true. Just before he says these words in the Gospel of John, Jesus has just been light to another person. His words are true. He's shown it through his actions. He's been light to this woman that's been brought to him by religious leaders because she's been caught in adultery. They wanted her shamed and humiliated, and they also kind of wanted to catch Jesus out as well for saying the wrong thing, for doing the wrong thing. They wanted her life to be filled with darkness, but instead of adding to that darkness that was consuming her life, Jesus was a light. He told her, he said, I don't condemn you. And that instead of the darkness that punishment brings, he gives her the light of forgiveness, the light of redemption and of freedom. So Jesus brings light into that dark situation. And therefore his words, when he says, I am the light of the world, they are full of power and they're full of truth because he did it. He said, I am the light of the world, and then he was the light of the world. And then in our reading, we see that that focus shifts to us. Jesus says, we are the light of the world. And I wonder if that's a bit terrifying. The world, the world can be such a dark place. When I think about the stats surrounding mental health, the lives that are torn apart by war, all the injustices around slavery and the environment, things just feel pretty dark or sometimes completely pitch black. When we hear that we're the light of the world, do we think me? Like I'm this tiny person and the world is huge and quite a dark place. There's too many places of darkness that need light. And Jesus says, I can be a light in this world. 
But we needn't underestimate light. Darkness feels powerful, doesn't it? When you're in a dark room, it feels powerful. But light exposes the dark. No matter how dark it is, light exposes the dark. It shows what's true in a world that is shackled in lies about our purpose. The world tells us that we have no purpose. The world lies to us about our value and it says you don't have any value. That's another lie. And it lies about our maker. It says you don't have a maker. But the light exposes those things. It exposes the lies and it frees us of them. If you're in a dark room and light appears, you see the light, don't you? No matter how dark the room is, we will see the truth and will be free from the lies that consume us. Now a little anecdote about my life. Me and Michael have been watching a lot of Death in Paradise recently. I know it's like a bit old, but like Finn and Megan recommended it to us, so we watched it. Um, it is great, although someone called us middle-aged for watching it. So like, no offense if you're middle-aged, because it's a great show. Excellent viewing. Love it. But if you've seen like one of the billion episodes of Death in Paradise that there are, you'll know how at the end the truth is exposed. So it's like a murder mystery. Everyone on the island dies. It's, <laughs> I don't really know how the show even still goes on, but anyway. Um, it's this huge murder mystery and, you know, loads of twists and turns and you don't know who's telling the truth. You don't know who's lying. And then at the end, the inspector, like, gathers all the witnesses um, together and then he kind of exposes the murderer and tells the truth the truth is exposed at the end, and through the deception, through the confusion, justice is done. And my favourite, Inspector Richard Poole, he exposes the light on the situation. He exposes the light in the darkness, and things make sense, and justice is done. Now we're going to talk about Jesus again, which is probably a good idea. But Jesus' goodness, that's the light that untangles the confusion of the darkness that is filling our world. It's the light that shows what's been hidden in the corner for so, so long. It allows it to be seen. The parts of our lives that have been hidden for so long, the parts that we think are too mucky for God to look at, he is the light. He can see those. It, he exposes it, not in a way to shame, but in a way to love you. And those dark parts can be redeemed by the light. And that's the same for our world as in our heart. The dark places in our heart can be redeemed and the dark places in our world can be redeemed by the light of Jesus. And Jesus tells us we're the light of the world in this world of darkness but the good news, and I'm holding on to this, is that that light isn't conjured up from somewhere within me. We don't have to like strain really hard to be the lights. We are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world and he was first. We reflect that light. We reflect the light of Jesus. We're not the light of the world because we are so good, because we're good enough. Culture tells us that everything is about what we do, what we achieve, how good we are. And Jesus is like, no, no. You reflect my light. Just look at my light. You reflect that. You know how the moon doesn't have its own light, but it reflects the light of the sun? We reflect the light of Jesus. 
that doesn't mean that our light's not bright. Like, you wouldn't say the moon's not bright on a clear night, would you? It reflects the sun's light. And that's what makes it stand out. That's what makes it distinctive. It shines brightly, so brightly because it's lit by something far, far brighter. And I don't know about you, but I want to be lit by something far brighter than myself. We've looked inside. I've tried that. I can't conjure up enough light there. I have to be lit by something far brighter than me. I need to be lit by something far brighter than me. So that's how we bring the light of the world. That's how we bring Jesus into the dark places, is by reflecting him. But this isn't easy, I don't think. To be distinctive in the way that light is in a culture that is pulling us to be just like everyone else. It's not easy to allow people to see the love and the power of Jesus through us when we feel perhaps insignificant as church or unwanted by culture or shut down by culture, sometimes unfairly, sometimes fairly because of the way the world and the church have kind of had this tension because of the way the church has sometimes treated people outside. Whether it's unfairly or fairly, I think that feeling's there. We feel like culture's going to say, shut up, sit down. But I think Jesus knows this is difficult. I think we know that because of what he says next. And if you have your Bibles open, you'll know in um, our passage in Matthew 5, 13, and then just on from there. He knows this is hard because he uses this image of a lamp under a bowl. If you think about that image just by itself, we can see how stupid that is. That's stupid. You wouldn't light a lamp and then put a bowl on top. Like, that's useless and a waste of a lamp. Like, you just wouldn't do it, would you? You just wouldn't do it. It doesn't make sense. But then when we put that image into the context of our lives and the light that we have, it's completely relatable. It doesn't, it doesn't seem so stupid anymore, because actually, I do that. I have this light, and I hide it. I put a bowl over it. So if we know Jesus, we do carry this light, but how often is it covered? Who's seeing it? It's amazing that the lamp is lit, but what's it doing for the room that it's in? What's it doing for the world that it's in if it's covered? If the lamp is lit and no one sees it, the lamp isn't doing what the lamp was created to do. I believe we were created for a purpose, to love Jesus and love people as much as we can. And if the lamp isn't shining out to the room, it's not fulfilling what it's created to do. We're made for so much more than to be lit and then covered. If we're not showing that light, the world around us may not change. If we're not loving fiercely and living sacrificially, and if we're not distinctive, the situations that we're in 
might not change. God is still working. I believe that. But he wants to use us to change those situations. And as I was preparing what to say this evening, um, I was focusing on the bowl mainly, that image of the lamp, and then a bowl or a basket placed on the top. And I was thinking, why is that there for so many of us? Why is it always covering and dimming the light that Jesus has given us? Why is it stopping us sharing that with others and being excited about this flame that we have for Jesus? And after a little bit of thinking, I realized, I think it's fear, right? It's fear. Perhaps we know that Jesus loves us, that he lived and died for us and gave us his light. Maybe we know that. But we're holding so tightly onto this bowl out of fear. Fear that others will see that light, that they'll see it and they'll ignore it that perhaps it won't be bright enough if the bowl comes off, that we won't make a difference, or that when they see that light, people will put you down, write you off, and turn away. But carrying the presence of Jesus is so beautiful. And that's what we do as followers of Jesus. We carry his presence and we don't need to hide that light that we carry because actually our world needs to see it. Instead, we can let our light shine like Jesus tells us to. Light can be a warning, can't it? Like a lighthouse. Light can be an attraction like a light or a torch through a fog. Or light can guide like your phone torch, I know, modern, or like your big fat torch in your car, I don't know. But it can guide you. But whatever its use, whatever we're using light for, it's visible. That's the point. Whatever its use, it's visible, it's seen. That's its nature, to be noticed and to impact the darkness. It needs to be noticed and impact the darkness and draw attention to the source of the light. If you see a light in the darkness, or as a car drives through a dark street, you look to where the light's coming from, don't you? And as people see us, they'll be pointed to the source of the light, to Jesus. And that's because the light we carry isn't from us, remember. Jesus said it first, I am the light of the world. And then he said to us, you are the light of the world. And doesn't our world need to be pointed to Jesus? I believe our world is crying out to be known and crying out to be loved. I see it on campus amongst students, but I think the same can be said for our schools and our workplaces. People are crying out for connection, for relationship. And we are the ones that are put in the places to do that work of Jesus, to know people, to love people, and to share with them how Jesus has impacted our lives. We're given this light because we've had an encounter with Jesus. And therefore, you have a story. So I feel like Jesus is saying tonight, use it. Whether you have a huge story of like some crazy transformation or actually it feels pretty normal. It's not normal. People out there don't know. It's not normal. Jesus is saying, use your story 
be that light, show people something different. And I was challenged this week that maybe we need to pray that we understand what Jesus has done for us on a new level so that we're spurred on to see him change the lives of others. Maybe we become complacent about Jesus and what he's done. Maybe we feel like it doesn't matter anymore. So that bowl is quite happily on our light. So maybe tonight you want to pray that you would understand Jesus more, that you would fall in love with him more, so that then it's only natural for you to share his light. But there is a temptation, isn't there, to hide our faith. Our faith is so personal, and that's a good thing. Our relationship with Jesus is so intimate and so personal. But the outworking of it is so, so public whether that's supporting organizations that do work for Jesus and against injustice, or being Jesus to the person next to you in the office. The outworking of our faith is so public. And we pray that through that outworking of our faith, by throwing off the bowl and letting the light of Jesus beam into the places that we go, we hope that people see Jesus. And I believe they will. We can hope they will, but I believe they will as well. Jesus says that our good deeds are seen and will glorify our Father in heaven. It's not about trying hard. It's not about the good deeds. That's not the focus. Jesus is the focus. But people need to see our faith and see the love that we have for them to be pointed to the light source, to him. Darkness feels all-consuming. It makes us uneasy, I think, and unsure. There's like an unknown about the darkness. But when light appears, like a flash of lightning, or like I said earlier, those car headlights, it occupies the space that darkness once held. And actually, the light is so much more powerful. So if it's the darkness itself that's stopping us from stepping into the darkness... Hold on to the fact that light is so much more powerful. John begins his gospel by writing about Jesus and how Jesus was light. And that light was the light of all mankind. Then he goes on to write this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome the light and it cannot overcome the light. So we want to occupy those spaces of darkness. We're called to be distinctive, to be seen and not hidden away. That's not what we're designed for. That means being a light by looking at the character of Jesus, getting to know him better by reading the Bible and spending time with people that love him. Then we want to reflect that in our own lives, always pointing to whose light we are reflecting. Jesus says that he does not give as the world gives. As humanity keeps turning away from God, darkness is what the world offers. Sometimes it's packaged maybe in something that doesn't feel like darkness, but I think it is. I think the world offers us darkness and instead Jesus gives us light and peace and grace and forgiveness, all those beautiful words. That's what we carry, and that's what we point people towards.
And how beautiful to be part of a kingdom that offers light in the darkness. Hope for the hopeless. Strength for the weary and beauty for the broken. That's our calling, is to offer people that instead of what the world keeps offering them, where they keep falling down, they keep not feeling good enough, they keep not feeling valued, they keep not feeling loved. We offer something else, we offer light. But I wonder if there's a, quite a lot of pressure attached to that calling. Simon talked a bit about it last week, if you were here, but it's pressure having the calling to go out and to be Jesus and be light. We can look to the end of this passage to see how Jesus wants us to be the light. There is a real importance in what we do, but he places it in the frame of his goodness. So it's not about us trying really hard or being perfect or being the best because his goodness is what frames what we do. But it's important that we have courage and boldness to do the stuff, to love people really well, to be different than culture. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He says that in this passage, and the prophets. The prophets have said that Jesus, he's the promised one. He said there's, they say there's someone coming, and they're the promised one, and they're a savior, and that's Jesus. And in terms of the law, the law is good. The law is good. Jesus doesn't say he's come to destroy the law. He says he's come to fulfill it. So the law is good, but people became obsessed with the rules. And that's what Jesus is addressing. People became obsessed that the weight was on them to earn their righteousness. And I wonder if we feel that same pressure when we're called to be lights, that it's all about us, all about what we do. And actually, I can't do that because I'm not good enough. That's not what it's about. We don't have to be like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had to, they thought they had to earn their righteousness. It's not like that. Even though that last verse, it seems to say something like that, doesn't it? Verse 20, I believe it is. It says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And like, they kept all the rules, right? So when we read that verse, we're like, well, I'm never going to be more righteous than them, ever. I can't keep all the rules that they keep. But actually, the Pharisees were getting it wrong. They sometimes get a bit of a bad reputation. They were actually trying really, really, really hard. But they were just getting it wrong. And that's the point. They were trying so hard, but they forgot to look at God and see him. We aren't made righteous because we try hard. We're not light because we earned it. Jesus doesn't say you will be the light of the world if you do this and if you do this. He says you are the light of the world. He's given you that title already. We're made righteous because of our faith in Jesus, because we're able to have a relationship with him which consists of us continually coming back to him to be refreshed and renewed. Being the light of the world isn't about trying harder, but it's about looking 
at the main light more and more and falling in love with Jesus and his light more and more. We won't be able to help but show that light to other people. As we spend more time with the brightest light, we light up. And so faith in Jesus is not obsession with this unattainable perfection, but instead it's a real, raw faith. And that's how we enter the kingdom of heaven. These words that Paul writes in the book of Philippians sum this up so beautifully. So I want to read them to you tonight. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I'm so glad it comes on the basis of faith rather than my earning of righteousness. So let's revisit that picture of light as I draw to a close. Picture the places each of us go. Picture the people you interact with or perhaps the people you don't. And picture you carrying the spirit of Jesus with you into those places. What does your tomorrow look like if you know that you have the light of Jesus within you? You might think no one cares but I promise you they do. They're crying out for it. The world is dark and you carry the light. Where and who can we bring light to? Where can we, with the light of Jesus, bring healing and forgiveness and freedom? And I want to leave us just with these words that you are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world and that's what you're reflecting. You're not going to earn it. You already are the light of the world. So I think what's important is that as I pass over to Nathan that we're looking outwards. I'm really glad that we're all lights in here. Like, that is amazing, and I'm sure we're burning so brightly. But actually, the light needs to be in the darkness. So maybe as we reflect and as we respond in worship, that's what we can be thinking of. How do we spread into the darkness and make use of the light that Jesus has given us? Amen.